Alright, what is good everyone? We are on episode number 8 of the first season. And we're definitely going to be covering a lot tonight based on the Merovingian dynasty. If anybody knows about that name, they've heard it from uh, the second Matrix movie. And here's the cool thing about this is that it has nothing related to do with the Merovingian dynasty except for the name. Alright, but we're going to speak over them, and we're definitely going to be covering, covering over an overview of FEMA and how they are the secret uh, police, really, and actually how they were the ones that infiltrated Oregon not too long ago that Trump is now investigating. Uh, but what we're going to do is cover, of course, the Merovingian family and how prevalent they are today, and we're going to go over long-term generational wealth as the economic patterns of the elites and how they do that. And of course, we're going to go over a book that goes along with that. And of course, we're going to cover over the overview of FEMA once this is done, because there's not really much to talk about the Merovingians. They're actually very difficult to track. But to start off this episode, we always talk about how 90 to 95% of People that come from the illustrious council that was either born into it or was adopted from it, uh, they claim and wholeheartedly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that his blood saves everyone. And they believe this to the fullest extent because of what they've gone through, through satanic ritual abuse, uh, also having DID, different types of trauma, and the list goes on and on. But... For them to expose this information is a death sentence. It's actually stated to them that anybody that joins, that you die when you expose names or plans or whatever has to do with them. And we're going to go over the First and Tenth Amendment because it's very important people hear about this. This is something that's actually not a lot of people know about and understand about, really, because it is something that affects us every day, especially with what we're going through. Now, the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. All right. And then, of course, the Tenth Amendment states the powers are not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. That's we the people. We have the right. We are the ones in control. Not the elites. Alright? Not the career politicians. Not the lobbyists. Alright? No one that's so-called running the government. It's the, the way that everything is formed in the system is not how the American system was built to begin with. But as we went over other episodes, uh, yeah, many individuals like Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and so forth, moving on to many other presidents, we're going to mention here as well, are actually related to the satanic elite and actually have been planning from the beginning the really fall of this country. But we're not going to go into that as much. We're going to get right into the Merovingian family. Uh, we're going to show some of the books that actually relate to the Merovingian dynasty, so that way you have a good idea of what you can go into more detail about. 
but we're going to cover a little bit about how George Washington and George H.W. Bush, as well as George W. Bush, are in this bloodline. All right, and then we're going to go over how planning sessions for world takeover were held in the French language. And then, of course, there's Claude Debussy, who's a navigator or helmsman of the Priory of Sion of the Merovingian bloodline. All right, we went over the Priory of Zion in previous episodes. We went over that in the Freeman episode and how it is the foundational point of all secret societies for today. But what we want to talk about is how the Merovingian uh, dynasty, all heads of the Latter-day Saints and the RLDS, are descendants of this family. And they use the bee as their symbol. Nature is a very, very big thing for them. That's why they use it. That's why they have the bee as their symbol. Now, the way that the Merovingian family wove its bloodline into Jewish royal bloods, which is the way that they did this in Europe, this can be found in the book called A Jewish Princedom in Feudal France, 768-900, to by Arthur J. Zuckerman. Now, the bloodline is the most difficult to, to track, like we already mentioned, due to weaving in and out of all the other 12 families. Now, there are other books on this family that go into detail, such as Holy Blood, Holy Grail by Michael Baton, or as you spell it, B-A-I-G-E-N-T, Richard Lay and Henry Lincoln. There's also The Messianic Legacy by the same authors. There's The Temple and the Lodge by the same authors, excluding... Henry Lincoln, and there's also Crusaders of the Grail by J.R. Church, as well as the Antichrist King Juan Carlos by Dr. Charles R. Taylor. And to even show how interwoven this is, we don't have much detail on it, but George Washington and George H.W. Bush, as well as his son, are from this bloodline. That's why you're coming across how the Bush family is related to a lot of different individuals. It's because of the interweaving of the uh, incest that they do. But to give some history to lights, uh, there were 12 tribes from Israel when not the satanic elite was formed, but when Israel was formed. But when it broke off, only the tribe of Dan was excluded from all the other tribes, and this tribe is linked to the seat of Satan. And this can be researched in the book the Curse of Canaan and World Order. Those are two separate books, and both of them are by Eustace Clarence Mullins. Now, as for the occultism that traveled into the world from Egypt, the Egyptians were the first travelers to land in Britain as Druids. And this is important because of the establishment of occultism in Britain by the elite, and the book to confirm this search is called a Book of the Beginning by Gerald Massey. It's not, the, it's not the beginning of history itself. It's the beginning of occultism. Now, let's go into the history of the all-seeing eye and how that's really relevant and how it really ties in. Well, there are very few different clans to merge this together, but the Egyptian word... Makat, which is M-A-K-H-A-U-T, 
which is the clan or the family, became the Irish Macu, which is M-A-C-C-U. And the Macu of the Donalds, clan of the Donalds, now reflected in the name MacDonald. We're going to talk about the MacDonald family, who are part of the conspiracy. They are not one of the 13 families, but we are going to cover them. Not in this episode. The sacred keepers of the clan stone in Iran, that's A-R-R-A-N, were also known by the family name of Clan Chattans. Another word for clan is Mac, and the Clan Chattans were also known as Macintosh. Hmm, I wonder where uh, Steve Jobs got that name, <laughs> Macintosh. And then there's also Ta, which is P-T-A-H, so Ta-Rek, which is R-E-K-H, the name of the Egyptian god Ta was passed down to us by the Druids adopting the name Patrick. So Ta-Rek, Patrick, which sounded similar. Uh, so St. Patrick's Day, then, is a Christianized form of a Druidic holiday which originally had its origins in Egypt. The all-seeing eye can be found on ancient buildings in ancient Chaldea, ancient Greece, and ancient Egypt. The all-seeing eye represents Osiris, and Osiris had debauched revelries, which were saturalias, that celebrated in his honor. The temples in Arabia, clear back in the time that Moses had his black father-in-law, Jethro, used the all-seeing eye to represent the false satanic trinity of Osiris. All right? I, and that was also Isis and Horus of Egypt. So Osiris, Isis, and Horus. Horus. <laughs> Sometimes it's Iris. Other times it's Isis. But originally, <clears throat> excuse me, is Isis. Now, this all-seeing eye pops up everywhere the illustrious council has been. In the Winter Palace Square in St. Petersburg, Russia, is that illustrious council all-seeing eye on top of a pyramid. You can also see it in the old Mexican Senate building, which is now a museum in Mexico City. And you'll find this on the back of our $1 bill, <clears throat> as everyone can tell. And you'll find the all-seeing eye was placed on Ethiopian stamps when they got a communist government in power. All right. Now, the Illuminati, or the Illustrious Council, is a continuation of the mystery religions of Babylon and Egypt. And the bloodlines of the Illustrious Council go back to people who at one time really lived in Babylon and Egypt. So the 13th bloodline has amassed a great deal of power and wealth on this planet. All right, the 13th bloodline lacks nothing to bring forth their Antichrist, who will appear to have all the correct credentials. And it won't be surprising if their Antichrist, in order to appear real, will expose another Antichrist. Now, the 13th bloodline has kept its genealogies very secret, as we just mentioned. Now, the tribe of Dan was prophesied to be the black sheep of the nation of Israel, which would bite the other tribes of Israel. The tribe of Dan had the snake and the eagle as its two logos. The tribe of Dan left its calling card all over Europe as it migrated west in the names of many places. The tribe of Dan ruled the Greeks, the Roman Empire, the Austro-Hungrian Empire, and many others which used the eagle as its logo. 
Hmm, America uses an eagle as its logo, especially on the dollar. And lastly, of course, this little bit section is how Great Britain is the mother country of Satanism. Scotland has long been an occult center as well, as the national symbol of Scotland is the dragon, the snake. And for years, the chief of Scotland was called the dragon, as well as Wales, as their flag is of a red dragon. It's got the green and yellow, or sorry, a green and white stripe and the red dragon on there. The Gaelic language is an important language for Satanism, although English and French are also used extensively by the illustrious council. The planning sessions for World Takeover that some ex-Satanists experienced were held in French, like we just mentioned earlier. All right? This is important. They, get a, they use different dialects and languages for this. The British royal family have long been involved with the occult. But if you want more information on this, there is detailed examination of the royal family and the occult in the book The Prince and the Paranormal, The Psychic Bloodline of the Royal Family by John Dale. That came out in 1987. Now, they have also been actively involved in Freemasonry on top. And there's also the British MI6 has been a major vehicle for the satanic hierarchy working behind the secret veil of Freemasonry to control world events. British MI6 is the most secret intelligence organization in the world. It's really known as British Secret Service, not to be confused with the US agency by that name, but performing a different function entirely. The British royalty have served as important figureheads to British Freemasonry, lending credibility and respectability. And so British Freemasonry has managed to keep itself free of much of the criticism that other national Masonic groups have brought on themselves. However, much of the credibility of British Freemasonry is undeserved. True British Freemasonry is what it portrays itself to the public for the lower levels, but the lower level Masons by their dues and activities are unwittingly supporting an organization that is led by Satanists at the top. An example of the subterfuge constantly exercised on the public by Freemasonry is a book written by a non-Mason entitled The Unlocked Secret Freemasonry Examined. And this book portrays itself as an unbiased and complete expose of Freemasonry. The book states unequivoc unequivocally <laughs> that the Masonic order called Societas Rosicrucian and Ang Anglia <laughs> Sometimes I mispronounce these names, so bear with me. But we went over that secret society in previous episodes, so if you missed that, go back to it. And is only open to Christians and calls themselves a Christian order, which they are not. They're Satanists. However, Edith Starr Miller reprints copies of a number of letters from the chief of the Societis Rosicruciana in Anglia, which show that the English Grand Masonic Lodge the SRIA, the OTO, and the German Illustrious Council are all working together. And she briefly explains how she obtained the letters. I want to give a full credit shout out to Fritz Springmeier, who is falsely imprisoned by the Illustrious Council, because this information that I bring to you all is actually from him mainly, as well as uh, Cisco Wheeler. They were the two individuals, mainly Fritz Springmeier. 
but many people don't know about this information, which is all the more reason why I'm exposing this information. So that way people can understand and know and hear about this because it's very, very important. Another important part are going to be days. And I'm going to go over exact days that they go over. So you want to stay inside in these specific times. And you all always want to stick to groups of seven or more. Starting with January 1st, New Year's Day is the Druid Feast Day. January 7th is St. Winbald Day, which is a blood ritual. January 17th is Satanic Revels, which is a sex ritual. January 20th is St. Agnes Eve, which is kidnapping and sacrifice preparation. January 26th is the Grand Climax, the sixth ritual and human sacrifice, which is five weeks and one day since the equinox. There's also February 2nd, which is Candlemas, which is the sex ritual, one of the witches' sabbats. February 25th, Blood Host, or St. Walpurgis Day, is a blood ritual or an animal sacrifice. There's March 1st, St. Icadoct Day, is a blood ritual and demon homage. March 20th, Equinox Feast, which is a sex and blood rituals of Sabbath. There's March 24th, a 16-year-old bride of Satan ritual. April 19th to the 25th is kidnapping and sacrifice preparation. April 24th is St. Mark Eve. April 25th is Grand Climax, which is a female sacrifice, can be a child. And it's also a sex and fertility ritual. Five weeks and one day since the equinox for that one. April 26th to the 30th, High Holy Days for Beltane. April 30th, Walpurgis, Night or May Eve, which is Blood Ritual, one of the greatest witches' Sabbaths. May 1st, Beltane, Walpurgis, or May Day, is a Blood Ritual and or a Fire Festival. June 21st, Solstice Feast, which is a sex ritual or an animal or human sacrifice. So there's sex ritual as well as the animal or human sacrifice. There's June 23rd, Midsummer's Eve, which is a fire festival, most important time for the practice of magic. July 1st, Demon Revels, Blood Ritual, Sex with Demons. July 20th to the 27th, what we're going through right now, the exact days, is kidnapping and sacrifice preparation. There's July 25th, which is St. James Day. And then July 27th, there's the Grand Climax, which is sex ritual and human female sacrifice. This is another five weeks and one day since solstice. July 31st or August 1st, Lamas, Harvest, Animal or Human Sacrifice, and the Great Sabbath. August 3rd, Satanic Revels, a sex ritual. August 24th, St. Bartholomew Day, Fire Festival, Great Sabbath. September 7th, Marriage to the Beast, Sex and Blood Rituals, with a female under 21. September 20th, Midnight Host, Hands of Glory, a Blood Ritual. September 22nd, Equinox Feast Day. It's a sex ritual. <clears throat> Excuse me. October 23rd to the 30th, Kidnapping and Sacrifice Preparation. October 29th to the 30th, or just the 31st. All Hallows Eve, which is a blood ritual, fire festival, great Sabbath. Believe that the dead return to the earth this night that they do. November 1st, Halloween. Sex ritual. November 4th, Satanic Revels. Sex ritual. November 11th, All Hallows' Eve, the ancient date, celebrated by some groups. December 16th to the 23rd, Kidnapping and Sacrifice Preparation. December 21st, St. Thomas Day, Fire Festival, Great Sabbath. 
December 22nd, Solstice Feast Day, a sex ritual, also burial ritual for some groups. December 24th, the last day, that's on the list for the year, is a high grand climax, which is a blood ritual. In addition to the above dates, the following dates should also be added, as in the year 2009 is a Feast of the Beast, which is a year-long celebration. And this occurs every 28 years, the Feast of the Beast. On Good Friday, there's Passion, Mock Crucifixion, and Male Sacrifice Only. On Holy Saturday, there's a male or female sacrifice. On Easter, there's a male, female, adult, or child sacrifice, followed by three days of chanting. And then there's the survivor's birthday, highest of all days for that individual. Wanted to bring all that out, and that is the bit that we have for the Merovingian and the days, not just for the Merovingian, but all 13 families that actually do this. So without further ado, we're going to get right into FEMA, because this is important. All right, this is going to be coming from Harry V, as in Victor, not how his middle name is, but Harry V. Martin and David Call, which is C-A-U-L. I'm going to read this ex excerpt for you. This is going to be eye-opening for everyone. So, without further ado, just think about all that I just said. Protect yourselves on these days, all right? Make sure you're traveling in groups of seven when you go out. Not groups of two, not groups of three, not groups of four. Groups of seven. That gives power to the group. But now we're going to go on to FEMA as the secret government. This is what the article says. Some people have re referred to it as the secret government of the United States. It's not an elected body. It does not involve itself in public disclosures, and it even has a quasi-secret budget in the billions of dollars. The government organization has more power than the President of the United States or the Congress, has the power to suspend laws, move entire populations, arrest and detain citizens without a warrant, and hold them without trial. It can seize property, food supplies, transportation systems, and can suspend the Constitution. Not only is the most powerful entity in the United States, but it was not even created under constitutional law by the Congress. It was a product of presidential executive orders. No, it is not the U.S. military, nor the CIA. They are subject to Congress. The organization is called FEMA, which stands for the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Originally conceived in the Richard Nixon administration, it was refined by President Jimmy Carter and given teeth in the Ronald Reagan and George Bush administrations. FEMA had one original concept when it was created, to assure the survivability of the United States government in the event of nuclear attack on this nation. It was also provided with the task of being a federal coordinating body during times of domestic disasters, such as earthquakes, floods, and hurricanes. Its awesome powers grow under the tutelage of people like Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North and General Richard Secord, the architects on the Iran-conscious scandal and the looting of America's savings and loan institutions. FEMA has even been given control of the state defense forces, a ragtag, often considered neo-Nazi, civilian army that will substitute for the National Guard if the Guard is called to duty overseas. Now, the most powerful organization in the United States, which is FEMA, we're going to go over, is 
as though it may be the most powerful organization in the United States, few people know it even exists. But it has crept into our private lives. Even mortgage papers contain FEMA's name in small print if the property in question is near a floodplain. FEMA has deeply involved in the Los Angeles riots and, and the 1989 Loma Priesta earthquake in the San Fran Bay Area. Some of the black helicopter traffic reported throughout the United States, but mainly on the West Coast, as California, Washington, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and Florida are flown by FEMA personnel. FEMA has been given responsibility for many new disasters, including urban forest fires, home heating, emergencies, refugee situations, urban riots, and emergency planning for nuclear and toxic incidents. In the West, it works in conjunction with the Sixth Army. FEMA was created in a series of executive orders. A presidential executive order, whether constitutional or not, becomes law simply by its publication in the Federal Registry. Congress is bypassed executive order number 12148 we're going to get back to this one as well created the federal emergency management agency that is to interface with the department of defense for civil defense planning and funding to speak on that we also have executive order 1217 where president carter orders the establishment of fema so 12127 establishes it 12148 created the FEMA with the interface with the Department of Defense for the civil defense planning and funding. An emergency czar, which is CZAR, was appointed. FEMA has only spent about 6% of its budget on national emergencies. The bulk of their funding has been used for the construction of secret underground facilities to assure continuity of government in case of a major emergency, foreign or domestic. Executive Order Number 12656 appointed the National Security Council as the principal body that should consider emergency powers. This allows the government to increase the intelligence and surveillance of U.S. citizens and would restrict the freedom of movement within the United States and grant the government the right to isolate large groups of civilians. The National Guard could be federalized to seal all borders and take control of U.S. airspace and all ports of entry. Here's just a few executive orders associated with FEMA that would suspend the Constitution with the Bill of Rights. The executive orders have been on record for nearly 30 years, and going on more than that, and could be enacted by the stroke of a presidential pen. Here, Executive Order 10990 allows the government to take over all modes of transportation and control of highways and seaports. 10995 allows the government to seize and control the communication media. 10997 allows the government to take over all electrical power, gas, petroleum, fuels, and minerals. 10998 allows the government to take over all food resources and farms. Executive Order 11000 allows the government to mobilize civilians into work brigades under government supervision. 11001 allows the government to take over all health ed education and welfare functions. That's health education and welfare functions, all right? As well as 11002 designates the Postmaster General to operate a national registration of all persons. 11003 allows the government to take over all airports and aircraft, including commercial aircraft. 11004 allows the Housing and Finance Authority to relocate communities. 
build new housing with public funds, designate areas to be abandoned, and establish new locations for populations. 11005 allows the government to take over railroads, inland waterways, and public storage facilities. 11051 specifies the responsibility of the Office of Emergency Planning and gives authorization to put all executive orders into effect in times of increased international tensions and economic or financial crisis. 11310 grants authority to the Department of Justice to enforce the plans set out in executive orders to institute industrial support, to establish judicial and legislative liaison, to control all aliens, which is immigrants, to operate penal and correctional institutions, and to advise and assist the president. 11049 assigns emergency preparedness function to federal departments and agencies, consolidating 21 operative executive orders issued over a 15-year period. 11921 allows the Federal Emergency Preparedness Agency to develop plans to establish control over the mechanisms of production and distribution of energy sources, wages, salaries, credit, and the flow of money in U.S. financial institution in any undefined national emergency. It also provides that when a state of emergency is declared by the President, Congress cannot review the action for six months. Now, the Federal Emergency Management Agency has broad powers in every aspect of the nation. General Frank Salzedo, chief of FEMA's Civil Security Division, stated in 1983 conference that he saw FEMA's role as a new frontier in the protection of individual and governmental leaders from assassination and of civil and military installations from sabotage and or attack, as well as prevention of dissident groups from gaining access to U.S. opinion or global audience in times of crisis. FEMA's powers are consolidated by President Carter to incorporate, and as quote, the National Security Act of 1947, which allows for a st strategic relocation of industries, services, government, and other essential economic activities, and to rationalize the requirements for manpower, resources, and production facilities. The 1950 Defense Production Act, which gives the President sweeping powers over all aspects of the economy. The Act of August 29, 1916, 1916, which authorizes the Secretary of the Army, in time of war, to take possession of any transportation system for transporting troops, material, or any other purpose related to the emergency, and the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, which enables the President to seize the property of a, for of a foreign country or nationally. These powers were transferred to FEMA in a sweeping consolidation in 1979. Yes. Before I was born. Before a lot of us were born. <laughs> yeah. Now, going into Hurricane Andrew, focused attention on FEMA. Alright, so FEMA's deceptive rule really did not come to light with much of the public until Hurricane Andrew smashed into the U.S. mainland. As Russell R. Dines, director of the Disaster Research Center of the University of Delaware, wrote in The World and I, and quote here it says, the eye of the political storm hovered over the Federal Emergency Management Agency. FEMA became a convenient target for criticism. End quote. Because FEMA was accused of dropping the ball in Florida, the media and Congress commenced to study this agency. What came out of the critical look 
was that FEMA was spending 12 times more for black operations than for disaster relief. It spent $1.3 billion building secret bunkers throughout the United States in anticipation of government disruption by foreign or domestic upheaval. Yet fewer than 20 members of Congress, only members with top security clearance, know of the $1.3 billion expenditure, expenditure <laughs> by FEMA by non-natural disaster situations. These few congressional leaders state that FEMA has a black curtain around its operations. FEMA has worked on national security operations or programs since 1979, and its predecessor, the Federal Emergency Preparedness Agency, has secretly spent millions of dollars before being merged into FEMA by President Carter in 1979. This all is leading back into the elites. More so the Committee of 300, but we'll get the links and the connections together. But we need to go over the overview of FEMA and what they're really planning, so that way people are aware of what we're really up against very soon. Now, moving on to how FEMA has developed 300 sophisticated mobile units that are capable of sustaining themselves for a month. The vehicles are located in five areas of the United States, they have tremendous communication systems, and each contains a generator that would provide power to 120 homes each, but have never been used for disaster relief. What? <laughs> 120 homes, five different ones, and they've never been used. That's hypocrisy. That's tyranny. FEMA's enormous powers can be triggered easily in any form of domestic or form of foreign problem. Pausing right there, the reason why we're going to bring this up is because in Oregon there were actually unregistered military personnel that roamed in, in Oregon and they were removed and now investigated by President Trump. But Trump knows what's really going on. We don't know specifically his, his involvement into it, but as far as we know right now, he's looking at getting that taken care of and removed and using the military himself because FEMA will not have any badges or anything recognizable as to them moving their military in. So yes, it was FEMA that brought in the people in Oregon. All right. But moving on, perceived as FEMA's enormous powers can be triggered easily in any form of domestic or foreign problem Perceived and not always actual, emergency powers can be enacted. The President of the United States now has broader powers to declare martial law, which activates FEMA's extraordinary powers. Martial law can be declared during time of increased tension overseas, economic problems within the U.S., such as depression, civil unrest, such as demonstrations, or scenes like L.A. riots and a drug crisis, or what we're going through right now. These presidential powers have increased with successive crime bills, particularly the 1991 and 1993 crime bills, which increased the, the power to suspend the rights guaranteed under the Constitution and to seize property of those suspected of being drug dealers to individuals who participate in public protest or demonstration. Under emergency plans already in existence, the power exists to suspend the Constitution and turn over the reins of government to FEMA and appointing military commanders to run state and local governments. FEMA then would have the right to order the detention 
of anyone whom there is reasonable ground to believe will engage in or probably conspire with others to engage in acts of espionage or sabotage. The plan also authorized the establishment of concentration camps for detaining the accused, but no trial. Three times since 1984, <clears throat> get this. FEMA stood on the threshold of taking control of the nation. Once under Reagan in 1984 and twice under Bush in 1990 and 1992. But under those three scenarios, there was not sufficient crisis to warrant risking martial law. Most experts on the subject of FEMA and martial law insisted that a crisis has to appear dangerous enough for the people of the United States before they would to tolerate or accept complete government takeover. The typical crisis needed would be threat of imminent nuclear war, riding in several U.S. cities simultaneously a series of national disasters that affect widespread danger to the populace, massive terrorist attacks, a depression in which tens of millions are unemployed and without financial resources or a major environmental disaster. Okay? It's the only way that can happen. And it's about to come. But here are the three times where FEMA stood by ready for that emergency. In April 1984, Reagan signed Presidential Director Number 54 that allowed FEMA to engage in secret national readiness exercise under the code name of REX-84, which is the REX-84 program. The exercise was to test FEMA's readiness to assume military authority in the event of a state of domestic national emergency. Concurrent with the launching of a direct United States military operation in Central America. The plan called for the deputation of U.S. military and National Guard units so that they could legally be used for domestic law enforcement. These units would be assigned to conduct sweeps and take into custody an estimated 400,000 undocumented Central American immigrants in the United States. The immigrants would be interned at 10 detention centers to be set up at military bases throughout the country. That's why Trump is stopping the immigration, because the immigration ain't women and children. It's literally soldiers who don't really have a family, and if they do, they're in a different country and hate the Americans. Okay? Rex 84 was so highly guarded that special metal security doors were placed on the fifth floor of the FEMA building in Washington, D.C., even long-standing employees of the civil defense of the Federal Executive Department possessing the highest possible security clearances were not being allowed through the newly installed metal security doors. Only personnel wearing a special red Christian cross or crucifix lapel pin were allowed into the premises, which goes back into the elite, the satanic occult. All right? Lieutenant Colonel North was responsible for drawing up the emergency plan, which U.S. Attorney General William French Smith opposed vehemently. The plan called for the suspension of the Constitution, turning control of the government over to FEMA, appointment of military commanders to run state and local governments, and the declaration of martial law. The presidential executive orders to support such a plan were already in place. The plan also advocated the rounding up and transfer to assembly centers or relocation camps of at least 21 million black Americans in the event of massive rioting or disorder, not unlike the rounding up of 
the Jews in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. All right. There's a reason why the Black Lives Matter is going on right now. And it's not just because of the whole, we want to have more black lives being mattered. No, they're being targeted. The second known time that FEMA stood by was in 1990 when Desert Storm was enacted. Prior to President Bush's invasion of Iraq, okay, FEMA began to draft new legislation right, to increase its already formidable powers. One of the elements incorporated into the plan was to set up operations within any state or locality without the prior permission of local or state authorities. Such prior permission has always been required in the past. Much of the mechanism of being set into place was in anticipation of the economic collapse of the Western world. The war with Iraq may have been conceived as a ploy to boost the bankrupt economy, but it only pushed the West into deeper recession. The third scenario for FEMA came with the LA riots after Rodney King brutal brutality verdict. Had the rioting spread to other cities, FEMA would have been empowered to step in. As it was, major rioting only occurred in the LA area, thus preventing a pretext for a FEMA response. On July 5th, 1987, the Miami Herald published reports on FEMA's new goals. The goal was to suspend the Constitution in the event of a national crisis, such as nuclear war, violent and widespread internal dissent, or national opposition to a U.S. military invasion or abroad. Lieutenant Colonel North was the architect. National Security Directive No. 52, issued in August 1982, pertains to the use of National Guard troops to quell disturbances. The crux of the problem is that FEMA has the power to turn the United States into a police state in time of a real crisis or a manufactured crisis. Hmm, where do we get that? The satanic elite creating the problem-reaction-solution. Problem, reaction, solution. Create a problem for the public to react to. Coming with the solution. <laughs> yeah. So, Lieutenant Colonel North virtually established the apparatus for dictatorship. Only the criticism of the Attorney General prevented the plans from being adopted. But intelligence reports indicate that FEMA has a folder with 22 executive orders for the President to sign in case of an emergency. It's believed those executive orders contain the framework of North's concepts, delayed by criticism, but never truly abandoned. So they're there. They're waiting. The crisis as the government now see it is civil unrest. For generations, the government was concerned with nuclear war, but the violent and disruptive demonstrations that surround the Vietnam War era prompted President Nixon to change the direction of emergency powers from wartime to times of domestic unrest. Diana Reynolds, program director of the Edward R. Murrow Center, summed up the dangers of FEMA today and the public reaction to martial law in a drug crisis. Quote, It was James Madison's worst nightmare that a righteous faction would someday be strong enough to sweep away the constitutional restraints designed by the framers to prevent the tyranny of centralized power, excessive privilege, and arbitrary governmental authority over the individual. These restraints 
the balancing and checking of powers among branches and layers of government, and the civil guarantees would be the first casualties in a drug-induced national security state with Reagan civil emergency preparedness unleashed. Nevertheless, there would be those who would welcome NSC, which is National Security Council, into the drug fray, believing that increasing state police powers in a, to emergency levels is the only way left to fight America's enemy within. In the short run, a national security state would probably be a relief to those whose personal security and quality of life has been diminished by drugs or drug-related crime. And as the general public watches the progression of institutional chaos and social decay, they too may be willing to pay the ultimate price, one drug-free America for 200 years of democracy." End quote. The first targets in any FEMA emergency would be Hispanics and Blacks. The FEMA orders call for them to be rounded up and detained. Tax protesters, demonstrators against government military intervention outside U.S. borders, and people who maintain weapons in their homes are also targets. Operation Trojan Horse is a program designed to learn the identity of potential opponents to martial law. The program lures potential protesters into public forums conducted by a hero of the people who advocate survival training. The list of names gathered at such meetings and rallies are computerized and then targeted in case of an emergency. The most shining example of America, besides the BLM movement, to the world has been its peaceful transition of government from one administration to another. Despite crisis of great magnitude, the United States has maintained its freedom and liberty. This nation now stands on the threshold of rule by non-elected people asserting non-constitutional powers. Even Congress cannot review a martial law action until six months after it has been declared. For the first time in American history, the reins of government would not be transferred from one elected element to another, but the Constitution itself can be suspended. The scenarios established to trigger FEMA into action are generally found in the society today. Economic collapse, civil unrest, drug problems, terrorist attacks, and protests against American intervention in a foreign country. All these premises exist. It could only be a matter of time in which one of these triggers the entire emergency necessary to bring FEMA into action. And then it may be too late, because under the FEMA plan, there's no contingency by which constitutional power is restored which they're using to set up to execute people. Here are additional executive orders. We're going to go over that, actually go into that. Okay, there's 11051, which was amended by 13753, is prescribing responsibilities of the Office of Emergency Planning and the Executive Office of the President. 11490 is assigning emergency preparedness functions to federal departments and agencies. 12472 is assignment of national security and emergency preparedness telecommunications functions. 12656 is going to be assignment of emergency preparedness responsibilities. 12919 is the national defense industrial resources preparedness. 12938 proliferation of weapons of mass dest mass destruction. 13074 is uh, an amendment to 12656. And of course, there's additional executive orders. Here's one that's somewhat related, but not really, that is really 
disheartening, is 9066. FDR, President Franklin Roosevelt, uses as a cover to conspire against the United States of America by trading with the enemy of the time, the Japanese. 10999, JFK orders the implementation of a Rex 84 program, which is martial law, Operation Cable Splicer, which is the authority to FEMA through executive orders, and Operation Garden Plot, which is Noble Eagle as military backup. 12046, President Carter orders the reassignment of telecommunications. 12127, which we just previously went over, is where President Carter orders establishment of FEMA. 13489, Obama orders manipulation of influence by presidential advisory and attorney general counsel. 13603, Obama orders national preparedness for Operation Cable Splicer. And, of course, 13753, Obama orders a revision of White House overrule in international tension, economic, or financial crisis. And going back to FEMA in 1983, there was an annual report that covers partnership with state and local governments, national preparedness, international civil preparedness, federal insurance programs, training and education, combating fraud and waste, and public awareness. The FEMA fully activated states right now are California, Nevada, Wisconsin, Arkansas, and Maine. The FEMA fully activated states with retaliation are Washington, Oregon, Arizona, Nebraska, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, Florida, and Pennsylvania. The three sources we can go to are DisasterCenter.com, which has daily updates of FEMA, what they're doing. And going into the executive orders, you can go to disastercenter.com slash law order slash 10999.htm. And then there's, of course, dmc.members.sonic.net slash sentinel slash gvcon, the number six, dot html as sources. That is an overview of FEMA, what's happening. The CIA also has detailed evidence as to, of course, the Anti-Defamation League and FEMA false flag or entities that are creating false flag operations that are creating the civil unrest and pushing it in towards that direction. Robert Steele is an ex-CIA agent that knows about this and is taking every action necessary in order to stop this from coming and doesn't have many people backed up behind him because there's very few people that understand about this that's coming. So the more people that understand and are aware of this, the more that we are standing up against this tyranny. But we're going to go into long-term generational wealth and the economic patterns of the elites because we're here for the free gift of long-term generational wealth. So for the long-term generational wealth, we need to look at the economic patterns as in watching the news. Okay? Watching how each economy is lined up to the reserve currency. All right? The way that's done is looking at which countries the elites are using with their businesses and with their finances. You got to look at the elites and what they specify in 
And by doing that, when you see what they specify in, then you can watch how the pattern outs towards their killing of Christians and Jewish people and towards the one world government, one world religion to bring about the Antichrist. By doing so, economic patterns is moved by patterns in foreign exchange market and cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is moving in patterns, but the patterns that are congruent with cryptocurrency started out with the foreign exchange market. Foreign exchange market is what are used by market makers, and there's what's called the market maker method. And the market maker method is what actually patterns out the, the trillions of dollars that are moved every day. And the satanic elites actually use the market makers for collecting the currency. So look into market maker method, look into Steve Marrow. He actually is a expert into market maker method and how the pattern works. Has definitely done his 10,000 hours, has done well more than that. So he's taught others who have surpassed their 10,000 hours. And they do have a wide selection between short-term and long-term pattern trading, but it, they do go based off of how the market makers make their money to induce traders and then completely take it away at the perfect moment to make them think that they're winning. But the book to go over how economic patterns really work and to how it relates to what we're in right now, what we're going through, it's going to be called Diocletian and the Roman Recovery by Stephen Williams. And you can also look up on YouTube, there are videos from Yale of professors that actually talk about Diocletian, and they go into detail. But if you want to go ahead and read the book, uh, the best one I, that is recommended is definitely Diocletian and the Roman Recovery by Stephen Williams. But today, that is all that we have time for, and what we covered over, and we do appreciate you all sitting in here listening and taking the time to learn and understand what's really going on and how to build that long-term generational wealth. And if you missed the first six steps, as well as the other books, the free books and the free steps, go back and listen to the other episodes. They really go into great concept into it because as a, as a disclaimer, we're not licensed in finances. We're not licensed as attorneys, nor asset protection specialists, nor licensed as tax attorneys, nor li licensed as tax accountants. We don't do anything like that. We don't make any rec recommendations besides following the elites on how they financially profit through their patterns. So just follow their patterns and you'll profit that way. So that is our disclaimer there. And of course, like we said at the beginning and at the end, for myself, I truly believe Jesus Christ is Lord and that his blood saves all. And because of this, I have concluded from C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel, John Ramirez, three prominent figures who were out to destroy Christianity, became diehard Christians, as well as people who were born into the illustrious council and people that were adopted into the illustrious council, 90 to 95% of them coming out have turned onto believing Jesus Christ is Lord and that his blood saves all. And those that actually come out from the illustrious council being born into or adopted into it, they are actually committing treason. And they 
are being set up to die. Some of them have died giving out this information, not to me directly, uh, but some have died, some are alive. So it's very grateful that some have stayed alive as long as possible and continue to stay alive as possible. But we wanna commemorate and honor those that have lost their lives and exposing the truth. But until next time, we appreciate everyone listening in, wanting to learn the truth in love. Until next time, peace out.